This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stunevec. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the worlds of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Bloomberg Radio. Or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News. Let's bring in our Bloomberg News White House correspondent, Josh Wingrove. He's on the phone from Washington, D.C. because, you know, Josh, we do need to look forward. A new era, as it is always with a new president uh, in Washington. But I do wonder about the old division, uh, how much of that sticks around. Yeah, I mean, this is the whole pillar of Biden's speech today. If you notice, the normally inaugural addresses kind of cast forward a little bit to what people want to do with their presidency. You kind of ditch the whole policy side of it. And talked all about unity, the need to, uh, you know, kind of take down the temperature a little bit, saying that politics doesn't always have to be a raging fire. He didn't name Trump specifically, but it was just a clear repudiation of what he believes Trump's legacy to be. So, you know, Biden believes at least it is possible. He did acknowledge that it might sound a little naive. He tried to point to uh, Vice President Harris as evidence that. Uh, you know, anything is possible, of course, historic moment for uh, the U.S. Uh, to see her sworn in. Uh, so, you know, this is where, where he's trying to go. It's going to rubber is going to hit road real quick. I mean, they have disputes in the Senate. They have disputes over how quickly they can confirm their cabinet. And of course, that covid bill is just going to be front and center. Biden wants something yesterday, basically. Hmm. And it's not clear what Republicans have an appetite for. Yeah. And it's not just the COVID bill. I mean, millions of Americans woke up early this morning, Josh, to, to find that the president, uh, Biden, that is, um, would sign executive orders to swiftly unwind Trump policies on immigration, on health. Um, take us through the big ones here. Yeah. And we're going to see, I think, some of these go forward, uh, you know, in the coming days. They'll be, uh, imagine, a batch, or at least they've signaled there'd be a batch of stuff every day. You know, these executive actions, like some of them, some of the things he's doing today are pretty standard. He's going to rejoin the WHO. They're going to rejoin the Paris Climate Agreement. He's going to issue a mask mandate. So on uh, interstate travel, in other words, federal turf, uh, you got to wear a mask. And in federal buildings, you got to wear a mask. But, you know, executive orders, Trump loved them. But the real downside of them is that, you know, as easy as they are for a president to do, flick of a pen, they often don't have a lot of teeth behind them. And so Congress really is the gatekeeper on a lot of things, in particular, of course, stuff that requires money and vaccines require money and testing requires money. So a lot of his uh, goals, particularly early on, uh, are really going to be subject to seeing what gets done in Congress. Uh, Jen Psaki, who is his White House press secretary, of course, as about two and a half hours ago, uh, said this morning on CNN, she was asked, listen, is it fair to say that stopping the pandemic is his number one concern. And she said, yes, that is fair. You know, it's interesting. And for those who are watching on YouTube, our YouTube channel, uh, you know, the president uh, and the vice president and former president Obama, George W. Bush and Clinton, along with their spouses, they are at Arlington National Cemetery at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. They will uh, lay a wreath there. Uh, and that's the visual that we've got at this hour. But I'm looking at, you know, past administrations and we had a financial crisis that two of them had to deal with. Um, we had healthcare uh, overhaul. We've had some really big agendas, but I look at the agenda, uh, Josh, that is facing this current 
current president, it is, as you just laid out, a massive one, a costly one. And even though he will not be the Senate Majority Leader, the new Senate Minority Leader, Mitch McConnell, will play a crucial role. Will he be more collaborative? I'm, collaborative is a strong word. He, he, he believes that there should be a power-sharing type of agreement, which has been done in the past when the Senate has had a 50-50 uh, split. Now, it's been quite some time since that was the case. And in the meantime, a lot of Democrats think that Mitch McConnell played such hardball when he was majority leader that they, they believe he's almost forfeit the right to ask them for a penny, let alone a buck. You know, So uh, I, I think that there'll be a lot of opposition to that. Now, this will be one of the things I think where Biden's belief that there could be a bipartisan era still in Washington uh, will, will come to the fore. If Biden sort of asks or gives his blessing to Chuck Schumer uh, to, you know, actually try and cooperate with McConnell. That might that uh, that might be where they go. But there will be pressure certainly in the Democratic Party to just absolutely go hard to the wall and keep box McConnell out of anything. So that that's that's a uh, there's a rub right now on that one. Look, sure. all all of this, Josh, is is happening as uh, as Trump, who's no longer president, is is facing trial in the Senate for for impeachment. Um, mm-hmm. Explain the backdrop here and how Democrats can push forward this message of unity while also at the same time trying the ex-president. Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's very unclear how this is going to proceed. Nancy Pelosi is saying she'll uh, hand over the articles soon. It's not clear that she's not going to sit on them for a while, uh, which could sort of drag things out. And it's very unclear that there would be enough votes to convict the president. In fact, it seems pretty clear that there are not enough votes to Hmm. convict the president. And the longer he's out of office, you have to think, the longer the temperature comes down. Well, look, even so, with what McConnell said yesterday, he said that the the mob attack on the Capitol was, quote, provoked, and, and he, he kind of condemned it in the most, uh, in no uncertain terms. He did, but I I, I mean, I suppose it, shows who sh- it depends who shows up, but I have a hard time thinking that two-thirds of people present, in other words, up to 17 Republicans, would vote to commit, or would vote to convict the president on his impeachment charge. I have been wrong before. It's still Donald Trump's Washington in some ways. Yeah. You know? So anything is possible. But I, I think right now Biden has made clear that his number one priority is not an impeachment of Donald Trump. It's this COVID package. And remember, the, the numbers just are alarming across the board. The vaccine rollout has been sluggish. And Biden has been saying we are in for a long winter and it's going to get worse before it gets better. Right. Let's not forget, you know, we are focusing on politics and we have focused on politics a lot Uh, over the last couple of weeks, understandably. But at the same time, those virus numbers, as Josh said, um, continue to astound. And, you know, we go through them and we tick through them every day here at Bloomberg. Uh, But it is certainly worrisome. And that will be obviously uh, top of his mind, top of his agenda, uh, the new incoming president. And it does look like for those uh, listening on radio, watching on our YouTube channel, Uh, The president, the new president, Biden, uh, the vice president, Kamala Harris, uh, they and their spouses, I believe, are uh, headed towards the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier to lay uh, a wreath there. And they are there along with uh, past presidents. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic from Bloomberg Radio. 
Let's not forget that the big problem facing this country right now is getting the pandemic under control. If you're out there in the West Coast, if you're out there in the LA area specifically, you know, you're seeing this firsthand. They're seeing the crisis at its peak like we saw last spring here in New York City. And, you know, this is crucial to getting this under control. We've talked about the problems with rolling out the vaccines. Uh, and as we've opened up kind of the spigot when it comes to who can get it, now we're seeing supply constraints or logistical constraints. And this will be top of mind and something that the president and his team will have to deal with because this is necessary and crucial in order for us to reopen our economy. We got glimmers of it over last summer, right, when it eased back here and we started to see life come back a little bit. But then, of course, fall hit and the cold weather hit and we just, it wasn't eradicated. So we know we need um, really the mass, mass amount of the population to get the vaccine in order for us to hit Herd immunity. And Biden has ambitious goals, 100 million uh, in uh, the first 100 days, a million a day. Yeah. So listen, this uh, following all of this will go to our team in D.C. And that includes uh, our Amanda Colson Hurley. She's politics editor at Bloomberg Businessweek. She and her team uh, at the magazine will be tracking uh, this new president and his initiatives and his agenda. Uh, she joins us, by the way, on the phone from Washington, D.C. Joel Weber is also with us, editor at Bloomberg Businessweek on the remote access from Brooklyn. As we said, and as we said four years ago, uh, Joel, it's a new political political era. It's a new individual at the White House, and that means a new agenda. A new agenda, that's right. And, and you know, it all kind of gets started now. And uh, one of the things that we're wrestling with in, in this issue of uh, the magazine, is, which is our uh, annual The Year Ahead issue, is obviously all of the big themes that we can expect to be talking about. And, and Biden and the U.S. government is going to be first and foremost on our minds. Um, and, and that obviously uh, brings us to um, Amanda, who there's a forthcoming story that I thought was really well done about um, what we can expect from, from Biden at the outset here. Um, so a little sneak peek from this forthcoming issue. Um, what, are, what are the advantages that Biden inherits and what are some of the limitations that, that we expect him to encounter um, as he attempts um, to, to, to govern here, Amanda? Yeah, well, um, I think uh, Biden is uh, very fortunate uh, in uh, having a Democratic uh, trifecta, right? So, And that is something of a surprise. I think um, before the Georgia runoff on January 5th, it was sort of expected that the Republicans would uh, hold on to the Senate um, and that there, you know, he would be kind of limited in what he could do. But with... Um, with the surprise, somewhat surprise wins of the Democratic candidates in those runoffs, um, the split in the Senate is now 50-50, with uh, Kamala Harris being the tiebreaker, which means that um, that there's more that Biden can do now. Um, so, you know, he's already said that he, uh, you know, unveiled this 1.9 uh, trillion dollar uh, next round of stimulus that he's saying is that's a kind of immediate relief plan. And then he wants to do something kind of, uh, you know, even bigger. Well, not necessarily with a higher uh, dollar uh, amount to it, but, you know, a kind of uh, uh, maybe kind of longer term, uh, deeper type of stimulus afterwards. So, um, uh, you know, he has some wind in his sails now. But of course, he's walking into this job, uh, you know, with the pandemic having uh, fiercely uh, uh, come back uh, and, you know, um, worse than ever. Uh, we just hit uh, 
you know, 400,000 deaths, a, a terrible milestone. Um, and, uh, you know, the economy is still really faltering. So um, he, he certainly has a very tough task before him. Uh, the president also is eager to attack climate change. This is something that he's made clear during the transition with the appointment of John Kerry as his climate czar. And we're seeing on our live blog right now a, a tweet from Gary Cohn, the former um, Goldman Sachs COO, former Trump advisor, saying, quote, while the Paris Agreement may be far from perfect, it is the best available option to tackle one of the greatest issues of our time. I'm happy to see the U.S. reentering this agreement and asserting global leadership. When it comes to climate change and the environment, how are you thinking about it at Business Week and, and covering uh, Biden's agenda and, and making sure that the U.S. is at the forefront of this? That's a great question. And I, um, uh, Joel might have some other thoughts on it, but I, I think what what's really interesting is um, probably the way we cover it will reflect how I think maybe Biden and the Democrats will try to get uh, you know, major climate legislation through, which is probably packaging it as, uh, you know, some measures as a kind of uh, infrastructural improvements hmm. um, and, uh, you know, research and development advances um, and green jobs, you know. Um, Biden's big climate plan, uh, I think he calls it Build Back Better, is not the Green New Deal, but it has kind of some of those echoes of, of looking at, uh, at at climate action and at the the goals of it as not not just being you know reducing emissions at these kind of other uh, benefits and at a sort of um, retooling the economy right and and so uh, I expect that he's going to be hitting those notes as he tries to uh, achieve his climate goals and uh, we'll be assessing you know. Uh, what those uh, costs and benefits, you know, really are to the best of our ability. You know, Amanda, there's a couple other uh, bullet points from the the issue that I thought were just a great little uh, cheat sheet. And just to kind of run through them, I think the, the ones that we're the most interested in for the magazine that um, will continue to hit in the days, weeks, months, years ahead, <laughs> um, integration, taxes, health care, judicial appointments and and political investigations um i want to actually just go to uh healthcare first because this was something that um you know he biden was involved in in the obama legacy and i'm interested in sort of how what we can expect on the healthcare front we think in in these next few months and then also let's let's take the judicial appointments Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, uh, judicial appointments um, is going to be an interesting one to watch. I think, as we note in the in the magazine, uh, you know, Biden's path will be a, a lot smoother now, you know, with the Senate under Democratic control. Um, so, you know, if one of the Supreme Court justices were to retire, uh, there's already, you know, chatter about maybe Stephen Breyer stepping down. Um, there will not be a situation, you know, where there will be a vacant seat for months and months, uh, you know, as there was uh, when President Obama nominated Merrick Garland. Um, so, uh, you know, that's uh, going to make Biden's life a lot easier going ahead. Yeah. And one thing, I, you know, I do wonder, curious, I'm curious too, Amanda, about, listen, President Trump 
expect we're expecting him to be part of the political scene going forward. So how do you think about he's not going to be president, but how do you think about some of the coverage that might be something you need to think about, include going forward? Or how do you think about it, at least at this point? Yeah, well, I mean, definitely he's not president anymore. And, you know, the bar for what, uh, you know, what in in the Trump universe gets covered, I think becomes that much that much higher. Right. But, um, you know, he I think it is very interesting that he's he's going back to Florida and uh, reportedly a number of members of his family are also looking to, uh, you know, locate to Florida, looking for property there. Um uh, he is reportedly thinking about building his presidential library and museum in Florida. Um, and there's also, um, you know, I think some uh, conservative media outlets that are Florida based that he if he wanted to have uh, right. more of a media presence and megaphone, um, he could get it there even, you know, even though he's been thrown off of uh, a lot of social media now. But um, so I think it'll be interesting to kind of watch that potentially this kind of uh, Trump world take root in this kind of other political establishment of, of, of Florida. Um, right. But we'll, you know, certainly be covering, uh, you know, there's still an impeachment trial to come. And I think uh, the impeachment trial and its aftermath might answer, I think, what what is a, a very big question, which is, uh, you know, in the days after January 6th, it, this seems to be a, a huge stain on yeah. his presidency and on, you know, his allies potentially. But right. maybe, you know, is that going to last forever? And how bad is, is but, that going to look long term? Bottom line, you guys are going to be busy, no doubt. <laughs> Amanda, thank <laughs> you so much. Really appreciate it. I know it's been a busy day for you guys. Amanda Colson Hurley, politics editor at Bloomberg Business Week from the nation's capital. Jill Weber, editor at Bloomberg Business Week on the remote axis. You can check out more about the year ahead. Uh, you name it when it comes to business, politics, uh, economics, it's all in this upcoming issue. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic on Bloomberg Radio. So, Tim, I think it's safe to say that we've got two top stories today. Obviously, the swearing in of a new president of the United States. We've covered that. The other, the biggest problem that faces the Biden administration from day one, and that is the health pandemic. Yeah, it is. Um, look, 400,000 people have died in the United States as a result of the pandemic. Right. As you and I mentioned, the economic recovery inextricably linked to the successful rollout of the vaccines. Carol, it is such a shame that the vaccines were developed at record pace, but the rollout has been so bumpy and we can only hope that it gets smoother. And this on a day out. where we had a story, you and I both saw it, New York City rescheduling 23,000 vaccine appointments due to uh, shortages, uh, that supply shortage. Let's get to someone who's been a go-to voice for us often. He oversees the largest healthcare provider and private employer in New York State. Back with us is Michael Dowling, President and CEO at Northwell Health. He's also author of the book Leading Through a Pandemic, the Inside Story of Humanity, Innovation, and Lessons Learned During the COVID-19. Talk about creating the playbook as we go. He joins us on the phone once again from New Hyde Park, New York. Michael, nice to have you back. How are you and how's your team doing? Uh, thank you so much. I'm delighted to be with you. Uh, we're doing well. Uh, the team is uh, doing well. I know I've been at this uh, you know, COVID issue now for a long, long time, but healthcare workers are very resilient and uh, we are doing well, um, positive morale, and uh, obviously looking forward to being able to vaccinate as many people as we possibly can now. But are you seeing shortages when it comes to access to vaccines? 
Uh, yes, I mean we have a we have the infrastructure is in place, uh, which takes a couple of weeks to set up. Um, uh, we have multiple sites uh, um, available to do vaccinations, but we don't have enough supply. And um, hopefully, if we get the supply, and I'm hoping now with uh, a new leadership in Washington that there will be a change there, uh, but we can vaccinate a lot more each day if we know that we have the supply and we know when it's coming. Uh, and that's the only restriction at the moment. I mean, more, most of the other um, stopped-up problems that may, we may have had a month ago, three weeks ago, have been resolved. And today, it's a matter of getting enough vaccines. Well, speaking of that, we learned earlier today that New York City has had to reschedule 23,000 vaccine appointments due to right. a shortage. Um, what happens if somebody gets their second dose late? Well, you do have um, uh, you do have a couple of days uh, of leeway here, and um, uh, we should be doing everything possible to make sure that the people get the second dose around the time that they're supposed to get it. So what I'm doing here at Northwell is that I am reserving doses for the second. I'm reserving vaccines so I can guarantee to people that if they get the first dose, I will have the vaccine in place to give them the second dose. Um, uh, and that that's the way I believe this should be done so we can guarantee when people come in that there will be enough available for them to get the second dose. Um, I, I don't. I believe that uh, it's the right way to do it. It's, um, I believe the science supports it doing this way. And um, uh, if you don't get the second dose at all, I do, I do know you have some immunity, but we don't know how long it's going to last, and we don't know how effective it's going to be. Right. I don't think it's a chance worth taking. Michael, you know, I'm going to go Tom Keen on everybody for a moment. Uh, Tom Keen, our beloved Tom Keen of Bloomberg Surveillance. Um, you run a massive hospital system, healthcare system. Right. You can pick up the phone and call a CEO of Pfizer or, you know, Moderna and say, what's the problem? What is the holdup in terms of getting more manufacturing of vaccines? Is it we don't have the factories? Is it that we don't have the bottles? Do we not have the needles? What is it? And what are you hearing? I, well, I hear that the production process is, is being accelerated. And uh, we hear that there will be many more vaccines made available now in the next couple of weeks. And hopefully even sooner than that. I have not spoken to any of the pharma companies directly and personally. Uh, I believe that's the, up to this point. That's what the federal government uh, was doing and working with them closely, hopefully. Um, so I don't know the exact reason why it has been a little bit slow to this point. Uh, but remember also, if you go back, it's only like, uh, you know, six weeks ago, five, six weeks ago since the vaccine was made, made available at the first, first time. Right. So people have to be a little bit patient here. <laughs> I mean, there are people that want instant gratification. Something just happens today and they want the world to be fixed tomorrow. It takes a little bit of time. I'm hoping with new leadership in Washington that it will, everything will be accelerated, and I, hopefully we will have new vaccines by Johnson & Johnson maybe in the future. Right. And uh, who knows with AstraZeneca. And so I do think time will take care of the problem. The trouble is everybody's getting impatient, and I, I, I understand this. We want this over with as quickly as we possibly can. We are ready. 
once the vaccines uh, arrive. To be fair, though, um, Mike, Michael, is that we knew this vaccine was coming for a long time. I mean, these were conversations I think we had with you months ago uh, as right. well. And I'm not not pointing the finger at you, but I mean, I think the system overall, the government overall, well, knew that logistics and distribution were going to be a big part of this. And I just wonder what happened. Well, I, don't, I think that it wasn't thought through uh, as, as well as it should have been. It was excessively micromanaged. You know, you had, you know, groups 1A, groups 1B, 1A+, and excessively micromanaged. I have felt from the very beginning where you have very large systems, systems like ours, and you just give us the vaccines, you give us general guidelines, and then you get out of the way. Mm. But it was a little bit overly bureaucratized. Um, and hopefully we're learning from that. Um, uh, but uh, we are where we are at the moment. You know, you can't go back and undo what happened a month ago or three months ago. We are where we are. Uh, we are ready to go. Uh, we are vaccinating. Um, I vaccinated about 43,000 employees and wow. about 20,000 people in the community. And we're now doing second doses. And I've opened up about 25 vaccination sites. But I had to close five of them a week ago because I didn't have enough vaccines. Um, that's the problem now. Um, and uh, I'm, 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 I'm optimistic uh, that this will be taken care of in the relatively near future. When do you feel like we start to feel more normal as a society where things are opening up and maybe we're still wearing masks, but there's a sense of security that we will have when we go out and do things with other people and maybe larger groups that we don't currently have right now? Well, I think that we, um, I, hopefully we will see an opening and a breaking of the crisis uh, in the next uh, three months or so. I would hope that by the end of the spring that we would um, be able to get out and about a bit more. Uh, hopefully the restaurants will be opening. I hope that will happen sooner. So I think we're going through this until the end of the spring. But let's be, we have to be careful, though. I think we have to be continuously cautious. And that, um, and especially now when the vaccine is being distributed, that people still wear masks to the extent that they can, that there's still social distance, that we don't do stupid things. Mm. I mean, we don't get together in large groups where it is very obvious if you don't do the right things, you have the, you have the possibility of transmitting, transmitting the, 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 the virus. So I think we have to be careful. I don't think we will be back to a normal, um, if, and uh, it'll be a new kind of normal, I think, by, until the early fall. Mm. Well, and I think we can handle this. I mean, we have to be optimistic and positive about this. It's, it's a bit of a disruption, but we can handle this, and, and therefore we have to look at it with a positive attitude. I like your, I like your attitude. I think it's, it's been really a challenge for me in January. I think a big part of it is, you know, being away from my family for the holidays, um, the disruptions, yeah. and also, of course, just... The staggering numbers of deaths that we've seen in the United States. I mean, it's absolutely heartbreaking for, for so many people out there. And I think every American has been affected by this. It's just no way they haven't. I've been talking a lot with my um, with my wife about this, um, what this looks like on the other side, uh, Michael. She was saying, hey, I think we're going to be wearing masks for a very long time. Like we're going to be the generation that wears masks and our kids might think it's weird. Um, but but that's us. I mean, is, is that what you see? Is that the new normal? Oh, I think that when uh, I, 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 masks are not that difficult to 
Well, I mean, I agree. You get used to it. I mean, it's not. So that's a yes. <laughs> I'm not complaining. I'm just wondering, like, when we talk yeah. about the other side of this, but like, I, are we going to go back think, to being able to, like, you know, not wear masks around the office? I, um, well, I think, for example, we've had very little flu season this year. Um, less kids getting sick that's from true. normal yeah. flu stuff. So I think in the future, let's assume COVID disappears this year and next year and the flu season arrives, I think you will see more and more and more people wearing masks that they will say, you know, this is a very good preventive way to prevent normal, you know, regular things from happening during regular flu season. So I think that masks will be with us for a long time. Mm. Uh, you know, that some, some groups of people, I mean, uh, have been wearing, if you've been in the city two or three years ago, you saw certain people from the Far East wearing masks, walking around the city. And if you were traveling uh, around the world, you'd see it too. Around the world, uh, yes. So I think it's going to be part of our arsenal, part of our costume going forward. Not necessarily all the time, but when we believe it is necessary, I think it'll be with us. Hmm. And, uh, and we're, it, it, we're protecting each other, we're protecting our friends, our neighbors, and pre- preventing people from getting sick. So What's the big deal? We, we will get used to it like we get used to a lot of other things. Listen, if we can carry our phones around with us all the time, can't we just kind of add on a mask and just make it kind of the norm? <laughs> no, I'm serious, right? Like, yeah. who would have thought that there would have been, you know, well, years somebody, ago? Yeah, go somebody ahead. would probably be innovative enough to put a phone inside the mask. <laughs> and now we're talking. I was actually just thinking, like, right, wouldn't that be angle. a great thing? Um, what's the thing, though, that worries? Just last question, Michael. Um, I love your optimism, too, and I love yeah. your realism. Um, yeah. What's the one thing, though, that worries you just a little bit here and just got about a minute left? Uh, I think, that, you know, today with the new, uh, with new change in Washington, uh, you know, a dark cloud has been lifted. And I think we can see a little bit of sunshine. We can see hope and decency, hopefully, and a sense of optimism about the United States is a great place. New York is a fabulous city. New York is going to come back. Uh, we, we've gone through a rough period. Uh, and I just think that we should look forward with a great sense of uh, positivity and optimism. Uh, unify it, trust one another, um, uh, you know, throw, 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 um, throw oxygen on that which is good, not on that which is, which is uh, not, not so good. Uh, be positive and build a sense of community. The one thing COVID has demonstrated is that we're all interdependent. Mm-hmm. What happens in one part of the community affects every other part. We've all been affected by this. We have to bring back that positive sense of community. We're united. Uh, we're Americans. We're proud. We're positive, and there is nothing that we can, can cannot achieve. Here, here. Okay. Oh, little music to take here, you here. out there. <laughs> There's gremlins, I think, everywhere. Um, yeah. Michael, what a nice way to wrap it up there. Michael Dowling, president and CEO at Northwell Health. He's also got a book out, Leading Through a Pandemic, and uh, I highly recommend that people check it out. I'm driving in my car, I turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh, no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive home. Excuse me, I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. Drive 
This is the drive to the close. That funk the music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. All right, it is time for the drive to the close, but uh, driving to the White House and actually not driving anymore to the White House is President Biden and the new first lady. They are actually walking up to the White House the last, I would say, block or two or so, a couple of blocks. They got out of the motorcade. Uh, They were going from... Uh, Arlington Cemetery on their way back to the White House in uh, a motorcade along with the vice president. They got out and walked and were actually greeting uh, members of the press and other yeah. individuals on the side of the road. They this were. is much more reminiscent of what we have seen in uh, inauguration. I was just going to say that, Carol, there is some sort of semblance of normalcy here. Um, you know, masks certainly excluded from that. But, right. you know, the idea that everybody is in masks makes you realize that this is 2021 yeah. and that we're in the midst of a pandemic right now. But yeah, there's a, a sort of sense of normalcy to uh, this inauguration, even though it was far from normal. And reacting with people who, you know, the the voting public. Yeah. Uh, and what's interesting is we are now uh, seeing the president and the first lady there at the White House. You can watch this on our YouTube channel uh, as we speak. Just search on Bloomberg Global News. You can also, if you're on the Bloomberg, go to Live Go and watch this coverage as well. But again, uh, walking up uh, to the White House, uh, the new president and the new first lady. All right, we'll continue to monitor uh, the comings and goings of the new president. Right now, though, we do want to get to our market guest. Ryan Jacob is back with us, Chairman, Chief Investment Officer, and Portfolio Manager, Jacob Asset Management, a top performer. Uh, the Internet Fund, the Jacob Internet Fund, beating just about all of its peers over the past five years in the 91st percentile, according to our data, returning 37% on average annually. Uh, Ryan, good to have you here with us. Ryan's on the phone in California. New administration, uh, potentially new era, maybe new regulations. How does it factor in, if at all, in terms of how you think about the stocks that you are investing in and including in your funds? Well, the administration change is obviously a big deal. Um, The relationship among the larger technology companies has been pretty terrible uh, recently. So uh, I I don't imagine it'll get worse. Hmm. Um, How much better it gets is hard to know. Um, There are a lot of other Democratic priorities that could uh, become issues here. Um, but for the for the most part, I would say conditions will probably improve. Conditions will improve between. Uh, with, uh, let me make sure I have this right. With between the administration and the tech companies, I believe so. I think it'll huh. be a little less. Yeah, in some ways, in terms of the administration change in the White House. Uh, it'll probably be a bit less combative. That's interesting um, because there is, you know, there does seem to be some bipartisan agreement, mm-hmm. rare bipartisan agreement to, I don't want to say rein in big tech, but, you know, there are monopoly concerns when it comes to some of the large tech companies. And then on the Republican side, there are concerns about free speech and Section 230. I'm, you know, not going to get into those now, but it does seem like the, the, the tech companies are in the crosshairs of, of Democrats and Republicans. But um, you don't think there's too much to fear? I think the free speech and Section 230 issues were more existential threats Mm -hmm. for the larger tech companies. I think that the uh, antitrust issues are more what we're used to in terms of scrutiny. And um, it's not going away for sure, but uh, it'll probably be more manageable. Um, Unfortunately, it is going to be something that's going to, uh, you know, be there for the next few years that's going to create a lot of headlines. I think in terms of actual actions, will be pretty limited. And we do want to point out President Biden and the First Lady and his family, they are at the White House uh, and they are entering uh, into the building. Hey, so Ryan, um, transformative technologies, you know, you look at the tech sector, you're, you've done really well. Um, let's talk about names that you like. Twilio is one of those. It's an infrastructure software company. It's 
already up about 14% this year. It gained 244% last year. Um, what is it that you like about this company specifically? Well, Twilio has really enabled communication, the evolution of communication of businesses uh, through the pandemic. Companies that were um, uh, offline companies had to learn to get online quickly. So whether it's through delivery or notifications, Twilio provides kind of that utility-like aspect to electronic communications between the business and their customers. Uh, a lot of businesses had been considering adding these features. Um, you know, COVID really uh, pushed it forward and made it necessity. And, and these, are, these are features that won't go away. So Twilio has been a huge beneficiary of this. And, and we think that that will just continue. We're going to be talking to co-founder and CEO Jeff Lawson tomorrow. Um, what would you ask him? Well, I guess, I guess broadly speaking, um, as we're communicating in different ways, whether it's device to device or on social media platforms, um, you know, how, how they basically help their customers integrate so they're touching their customers at all these different points and enabling two-way communication that, quite frankly, is probably one of the biggest hot-button issues for company in terms of being able to communicate and knowing their customers. So it's, it's really increasing the breadth rather than being just texts back and forth or your Ubers in the corner. It's more a broader picture of how this communication can go back and forth. Ryan, I also uh, know, thanks to our producers, that uh, you are you describe some of the run-up that we've seen in, in companies like Zoom, Peloton, Shopify, Tesla, these so-called COVID names. Um, extreme euphoria is how you describe it, and you say they're highly inflated. Um, big question is, is, are they due for a pullback? Well, Twilio is an example of a company where things were accelerated, and, and there's a real use, you know, a real use impact there. Um, with these other companies, they saw an enormous uptake of their services because of stay-at-home orders and work from home, et cetera. So, um, and their valuations have really just exploded. And so, the question for these companies are: uh, Is there some sort of artificial, um, artificial effect in the results that will be? difficult to replicate this year as we get out of COVID and because the valuations are real, really reflecting mm -hmm. their business progression in 2020. Does it reflect 21 and 22? That's a big question. Well, it's interesting. Tesla's not just uh, though a co like I can get it get what you mean in terms of Zoom and Peloton and even Shopify. Tesla, though, are you just saying that because they were just doing so well this year? This wasn't necessarily a pandemic story, um, but you're questioning whether or not that growth continues this year? <laughs> Tesla is a whole different conversation. <laughs> okay, okay. Right. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. And it's, there's a whole host of other different issues there. And they really are. You know, you get into the conversation, is it a car company? Is it a technology company? Um, there's a lot of debate back and forth. We don't own Tesla. Um, Why don't I you own it? With it? Why do you, you just, well, just quickly. Yeah, uh, the valuation is you have to assume that Tesla will be the unimpeded leader of, of the electric car industry over the next few decades. And, ah. and that's not something we'd be comfortable huh. saying yeah. at this point. Right. Especially when there's more and more competition. There was a story in the Bloomberg about kind of everybody, whether it's v, VW, whether it's BMW, they're all kind of gunning. They have Tesla. to. Yeah. Right. Exactly. They have no choice. All right. You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week. We are thanks to Ryan Jacob. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. And you can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News.